Lord, this morning we pray that you will indeed keep us abiding in you, keep us connected in Christ, and help us, Lord, that we would serve you in all we do, we pray. And Lord, I'm going to pray now for Peter as he comes to bring your word, that you, Lord, you'll bless him. I pray that you will anoint him by the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'll just take the words that you've laid upon his heart and Lord, use them as a blessing, as a challenge to us as we seek to live for you during this coming week and the weeks ahead. So bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for being there and being part of this service this morning. Throughout uh, 2020, we've explored three basic themes in the ministry of the Word. They've all sprung from the teaching of Jesus as recorded in John's account of the life and ministry of our Lord. We've considered what it is to worship our God in spirit and in truth, what it means to love one another, and how we might be encouraged to remain in him or connected to him. And this morning, before we move into the season of Advent, we come to the last in our series of six talks under this heading, Stay Connected. I'm grateful to Paul John and David Bird who have shared with me in this ministry We've each of us acknowledged that the attempt to set before you what it means to be in Christ has been challenging, simply because it is so rich and full a subject. That's why in our introduction we considered that in Christ we are truly enriched. We're told that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I sometimes think of what it was like for those who first opened up the tomb of Tutankhamun. The sight that met their eyes was so staggering. Howard Carter wrote in his diary at the time, At first, I could see nothing. But presently, as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room within emerged slowly from the mist. Strange animals, statues, and gold, everywhere the glint of gold. For the moment, an eternity it must have seemed to the others standing by, I was struck dumb with amazement. And when Lord Carnarvon, unable to stand the suspense any longer, inquired anxiously, can you see anything? It was all I could do to get out the words, yes, wonderful things. I hope that you have been encouraged, inspired even, to study for yourself what it means to be in Christ. You may see nothing at first, but as your eyes grow accustomed to the light, you will begin to see wonderful things. And believe me, there's plenty more 
to explore. Let's just pray together. O oh God, our Father, we thank you for your word, the scriptures, the Bible that you have given to us as your Holy Spirit has encouraged and inspired those of past generations to write what you spoke to them concerning. We thank you that we can dig into these things, that they, can, they are like a treasure for us, to discover more and more every time we return to it. And we want to pray that this morning that you would open our eyes so that we may see wonderful things contained in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you of the framework upon which this series of talks is constructed. We reached back to the beginning before the beginning, to the plans and purposes of God framed ever before this physical universe came into existence. These have been part of God's revelation to us in the Bible. They're no mere human construct, but what the Holy Spirit has been pleased to disclose concerning the great objectives of God's will. In Christ, we have been chosen. We've also looked at the present within the present. Those present realities of Christian experience, which are like gifts that our God is pleased to shower on us, so that in Christ, we are loved we're set free. We are assured. And today, these talks conclude by considering the end beyond the end. How those plans formulated in eternal past come to fruition in the eternal future. So we ask the question, what is the great end in view? What is the goal to which everything is working. And as we consider this matter, the subject of my talk this morning is In Christ Honored. A profound truth can be expressed in relatively simple terms. When Jesus Christ is honored, then those who are in Christ are honored too. Do we see Jesus honored at this present time? No. He's far from being so. He's despised and rejected by many on earth. Only in the heavenly realms, where the reign and the rule of God are met by a willing and joyful submission, only there is Jesus truly honored as Lord. And it's only there where those who are in Christ share in his honor. The Apostle Paul has written these amazing words. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In the world in which we live and move, those who believe in Jesus as Lord share in his dishonor to a greater or lesser degree. But in the purposes of God, which are now being worked out in time and space, there is an end in view when what is true in principle is fully realized. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus finally receives all that is due him by way of praise, honor, and acclaim for what he achieved by his death upon the cross and his triumphant resurrection, then those who are in Christ will be there to share in it all. What is true of them now will be true of them then, with Christ and seated with him. What a prospect this is. Those inspired by this vision and excited at the prospect of seeing their Lord receiving all that he deserves, want to know, they want to do all they can by way of preparation for that time. They want to know him better, even when it requires diligent effort in study and in prayer. They want to grow in grace, even when they know that grace is often given in circumstances which appear contrary to them. They want to serve him with every gift by which they have been equipped, even when at first their gifts are not recognized. They want to be holy, even when the struggle with the threefold pulling power of the world, the flesh, and the devil, because they know that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And they want to see the Lord. How they want to see the Lord, high and exalted. They long for the time when every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them says, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It will be the highest honor for those who are in Christ to be in attendance when Jesus receives the adulation of every creature. Their honor is tied up with his honor. I've already quoted a number of verses from the Bible, some which I've acknowledged and some which I have not. And for the benefit of those 
here at NCBC who use the questions and reflections provided by the speakers. I will provide a list should you want to use them in your contact group or study them personally at a deeper level. Right now, it's time for our Bible reading, a short section from Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 to 31, and Ursula will read them for us. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you. Out of these words of the Apostle Paul, I want to focus your attention on verses 29 and 30. Within a short compass, there are five concepts held together in a chain that stretches from eternity past through time and on to eternity future. There are five links in this unbreakable chain forged together in the purposes of God to rescue human beings from sin and its consequences. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. Much has been said and written about the first of these, and I don't mean to add any more to that debate. While I've come to hold a particular view of God's foreknowledge, which satisfies me based upon the teaching of the Bible, I recognize that others come to a different conclusion. Instead of having arguments that cannot be settled, I'm content to admit that I, with my limited intellect, can never understand the ways of God. He has not chosen to explain everything to us. Let's be content to focus upon what has been revealed. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And the second of these, predestination, can also provoke debate. But again, I'm not going to venture beyond what is stated here. Those foreknown are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The purpose of God is that, that we mortals might be like Jesus, and we members of the family in which 
Jesus is preeminent. These two links embed this chain in eternity past, in the purposes of God himself that are known fully by him alone. It's particularly in the third of these, calling, in which we more consciously participate. When, by some means or other, God arrests our attention and directs us to think about spiritual matters. He draws us to himself, and we, with some degree of willingness, respond to him. He calls us to turn from sin and to turn in faith to Jesus. Those who repent and believe identify themselves with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They come to understand that they are justified. God has removed the guilt of their sin. They no longer live under the threat of punishment because Jesus has taken their sin upon himself and paid the price in full at the cross. They're declared to be without blame before God. And they are assured by the Holy Spirit at work in them that they are now in Christ. And all that is true of him is true also of them. Now the fifth and the final link in the chain appears at first to be a leap forward into the future. Those God justified, he also glorified. But Note what's written here. Paul does not say that God will glorify those he foreknew and predestined and called and justified, but that he also glorified them. Paul writes in the past tense, because glorification is as good as done. The end is as assured as is the beginning. Nothing can ultimately thwart the purposes of the eternal, all-powerful, sovereign God. As surely as our Lord Jesus Christ has received all honor and glory in the heavenly realms, those who are in Christ are honored and glorified too. They are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Now, some of you have realized that I've avoided using the term glorified. It's a perfectly correct term to use in the context. Up to this point, I've favored the term honored over glorified because there is a use of glorified in modern English which is rather disparaging. It can be used to describe or represents something that in a way that makes it seem better or more important than it really is. Some examples. The limousine was little more than a glorified taxi. The chief financial officer was more than a little more than a glorified accountant. Her teaching degree was little more than a glorified babysitting course. 
So, from this point of view, although I will begin to use the word glorified more free, freely, it will never be in that derogatory sense. As we said before, the honor and glory given to Jesus by those who revere him and love him is only to be enhanced by the honor and glory given to him when every knee bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When he receives the glory which is rightly due to him, we who are in Christ will be there to share the occasion with him. This is what he himself wanted. On the night of his betrayal, his disciples heard him pray these words about all those who would come to believe on him in the future. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. As Jesus prepared to face the most dangerous phase of his mission, he looked beyond the pain, the anguish, the suffering and death to his coronation and enthronement in the company of those for whom he was to lay down his life. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to Christians in Colossae, wrote, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And listen to this statement written by Paul in this same letter to the church at Rome. If we are children, God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. All those in Christ share in his inheritance and share in his glory. But not without sharing in his sufferings too. Not, of course, the sufferings of the cross. They are unique. He alone was the one to bear our sins in his body on the tree. He made full and complete satisfaction for sin. But yet, his sufferings are ongoing in this respect. He is still reviled and hated by many. And we share in his sufferings as we become targets for the attacks which are yet being leveled at him. Now this leads me into the next section of this talk. Let me speak to you about two more elements of glorification. Being with Christ 
and sharing in his glory is but one stage. We cannot even call it the final stage because the Holy Spirit, through the biblical writers, gives a few hints as to what life with Christ in eternity is to be. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. The two elements of glorification that I wish to turn to now are very clearly taught in the Bible. They relate to how we get to there with Christ, sharing in his glory from here, earthbound, struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, suffering for Christ. Those in Christ need to be transformed both physically and spiritually. That's not the order of these two stages, but I'm coming, as it were, forward in time from eternal glory to the present. There needs to be a physical transformation to be able to experience all that is in store for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is, in fact, all part of a bigger picture. This same chapter, Romans 8, speaks of how the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Our bodies are part of this present creation. What happens to our bodies and what happens to the creation go together. And what happens to our bodies is not annihilation, but deliverance. That is why right now we await the redemption of our bodies. The heavens and the earth will be redeemed, restored, renewed, triggered off by the transformation of our bodies. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a prospect this is for those who are in Christ. We will be like Jesus in this respect. We'll have a resurrected body. Most, if not all of us, will die before Jesus appears as Lord and Judge as he promised. Like a planted seed, our bodies will be placed in the earth. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is raised, sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
Some will be alive at that moment when the heavens open to reveal Jesus in all his glory. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's the physical transformation that awaits all in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That physical change is but one aspect of what it is, is covered by the term glorification. To be glorified is to share the glory of Jesus together with the physical transformation that necessarily precedes it. But there is yet more. Let me talk about the spiritual transformation of those who are in Christ. Remember, we're looking at that chain, foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. We've already noted the jump into the future that comes after justification. Those God justified, he also glorified. Justification is a present reality for those in Christ, that it's rooted in the past events, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Glorification, as we've said, involves sharing in the honor given to Christ and the raising of and the renewing of our bodies. There seems to be a missing dimension here. What has happened to that present stage through which we are currently living as we follow the teaching and example of Jesus? It seems that the apostle Paul has subsumed that also under the heading of glorification. Because here and now is the time of spiritual transformation. This development of our relationship with Jesus is usually called sanctification, which means becoming progressively more holy, more like him. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. The daily prayer of the 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane was this, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. The Apostle Paul introduces this aspect of glorification in his second letter to the Christians in Corinth. He reminded the church which would have had many from a Jewish background, 
of the experience of Moses, the first of Israel's great leaders. He was a man with whom God spoke face to face as one speaks to a friend. He asked that he might see the glory of the Lord and was granted his request in measure as the sight of God would have destroyed him. Moses, the Lord says, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And as a result of this interaction with God, Moses' face shone with reflected glory. Though at first he was unaware of it, as he moved among the people, they were afraid to approach him. So he covered his face with a veil and only removed it when he went to commune with the Lord. And Paul uses this to speak of those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. We, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. This is the spiritual transformation that those in Christ undergo. Their contact with Jesus changes them. They, over time spent developing their relationship with him, reflect his glory to the world around them. They become more and more like him. The glorification of which Paul writes has begun as a spiritual transformation and will lead in due course to the physical transformation that will usher in an eternity of glory shared with Jesus. What an honor this is. This is the grand purpose of God conceived in eternity past and working out through time until it is consummated in eternal future. Jesus deserves the honor and praise for all that he's done. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. We are caught up in the slipstream of his promotion to the place of highest honor and praise. What an honor to be part of it all. Are you connected to Jesus Christ by faith? Have you responded to the call he makes upon your life? You may yet need to come to him, put matters straight between you and him. If there are matters over which you feel guilt, come to him and ask for forgiveness. It is possible to get right with God because Jesus, by his death on the cross, has paid the price to cover all our sins. It is possible to share in his glory. Get connected to him and begin to experience this transformation for yourself. Get connected 
stay connected. A prayer to close. Lord God, we praise you for all you intend for us. Help us, each one, to cooperate with you, to open our lives to you for the transforming, transforming work of your Holy Spirit in us, spiritually, as we await that physical transformation and that sharing in eternal glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen.